I'm Beth. And I'm Jamu. Welcome to Driver Picks the Podcast, where I pick the podcast and I shut my cake up. And today we are going to be doing a final extra bonus episode to wrap up the Kripke era. We are joined once again by August, Beth and KJ. Everyone say hello. Hello. <laughs> Third time going. That's a very synchronized hello. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Got it down now. Yeah, we just need to practice. And today we are going to be doing our special bonus Destiel episode where we're going to attempt to answer some very specific questions about Destiel within the first five seasons. So if Destiel isn't your thing, now would be the time to turn off this episode and come back next week. <laughs> yeah, just fail on this one. It's yeah. okay. We won't be offended. Yeah, we You'd get be it. wrong, but we won't be offended. <laughs> also, I would be... Very curious to know about what brought you to this particular podcast. <laughs> yeah. If you're disinterested enough that you would turn off this episode, what is keeping you? How are you handling season four and five? <laughs> mm-hmm. And how would you anticipate handling future seasons? Anyway. So I think maybe let's just get right into it because I know that we're going to have a lot of opinions and thoughts and things to say. So our first question that we wanted to address is at what point do you guys think it would have been specifically the funniest time for Destiel to have become canon within Kripke era? What do you define as like going canon? That's a good question. I'm going to leave that subjectively up to each person. I think that that's the kind of thing where like what some people will consider canon versus others is up for debate. If you think that there is a genuine canon point within Kripke era, I'd be interested to hear that too. For me, when I say think like canon point, if it goes canon, it's the point where it's no longer subtext. Like whether it is big explicit text or just like subtle text, that's fine, but it does need to be text and not subtext. I have an answer of okay. what I think would yeah. be the funniest. Um, it's, a, it's a little like one-two punch of Be You and Me and the Endverse episode. I just think like Cass and Dean having a little like last night on Earth, Bert and Ernie are gay, a little like mm-hmm hook up and then like Dean getting like just yeeted five years in the future to stoner cats <laughs> and then being gay I just think would have been really I think the only thing funnier is to become canon in free to be you and me and then he gets zapped to the end verse and then Cass is like acting like his ex-boyfriend <laughs> like they've broken up <laughs> like they've broken up at some point in the last five years <laughs> that's way funnier I definitely agree because, you know, Stoner Cass, is good. he's been through some shit. Either that or Stoner Cass just walks directly up to him and makes out with him a little bit. Yeah, And Dean doesn't know what to do. <laughs> I think that subtext is already there in the end. Yes. I feel like it's not, not too big of a stretch. <laughs> I wrote so many of <laughs> where I thought it could be funny. I would love to hear any of those thoughts. <laughs> okay, great. For funny-wise, I think it would be funny if Castiel burst into the barn in 4X01 and just kissed Dean on the mouth. 4 <laughs> is my long-standing like opinion of funniest <laughs> fucking point. Like he knocks out Bobby. Yes. And then he just like makes out with Dean a little bit. And Dean just kind of like goes with it and like is surprised. I just think that that would be funny. Another one was in like changing channels. Gabe pretends to be cast to fuck with Dean, not thinking that it would work. And then Dean oh. also just fucking goes with it and is like, okay. And then oh, you have like no. Gabe being like, what are you talking about? Like it's, it would be a whole moment. I think that that would be oh, very funny. Gabe doesn't realize that Dean's actually into cast. And, yes. And then <laughs> like, finds out very 
mm-hmm. very abruptly. Yes. And it has to be like, oh shit. <laughs> like it was supposed to be a joke. Like he was trying to make Dean uncomfortable. Instead, Dean's just like. And Dean's like, wow, finally. <laughs> that would be very funny to me personally. <laughs> and then just like Jimmy, like when it's Jimmy is himself and he's like, yeah, that angel has some thoughts about you. And I think it's <laughs> break Dean's brain. Jimmy's like breaking the bro code. Like. I'm just going to fully out this dude's crush. Yeah. He's like, I've been away from my family for a year and I like go in and out of consciousness. And every time the angel is thinking about you and it's gotten exhausting. I think it would be really funny if in It's a Terrible Life, when Kendall Dean is making his coffee, when if Cass just like walks into the room, like if you just get a cat in like sweatpants and one of oh the, like God. a hoodie just walks into the room and like kisses him on the cheek. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's like those are the Vicky thing that yes. could possibly happen. And that's why I love it. I love it. Yes, that's why I love it as it well. It means Zachariah ships it then. <laughs> yes, exactly. And then, like, I just want them to just be an established relationship and the realization to come for Dean when they're zapped back. Yeah. For him to go, oh, mm. like, <laughs> I, and then cast to appear. Like, I want cast to then appear in a scene mm. at the end of the episode. Kind of like at the end of the end, like. Yeah, exactly. Exactly that concept. That's one possible funny. I personally think it would be very funny in the monster at the end of this book because we're <laughs> reading, like, it's the oh, books. Oh, that, yes. Like, I can, like, just imagine, like, Sam reading the book and just, like, looking at Dean and then reading the book and then looking at Dean and being like, I have some questions. <laughs> that would be very funny. And Dean, well, uh, or you have the, because you have the moment where Dean says, dude, I'm full frontal. And he's yes. like, says that and if Danny did that and then immediately went oh shit and is like is like Sam you cannot read anything (laughs) and like Sam being the little shit of a brother he is he just like plucks the book out of Dean's hands and he goes guess it's full frontal too (laughs) here's the thing I have an argument for this that I can't actually make because it is based in later I know yeah, I know you have I know which argument this is because yeah. I have a very similar <laughs> argument. But I have an argument that I think that not only does like the Dusty Elevator make it into the books, but I just I do think it would be a very funny way for it to have happened. I also think that it would have potentially been very funny for Cass to have shown up right after Dean goes into Lisa's house in Swan Song and just like knock on the door and be like. Before before you go into this, I have one last thing that I would want to let you know. <laughs> <laughs> like despair, but like move it forward 10 seasons. <laughs> also, okay, another funny, funny point I think would be in Heaven and Hell. Like I know that's the whole Anna story arc thing, but mm-hmm. I would just appreciate if if you get all of the same lead up. Like you have the con- he has the conversation with Anna about free will, blah, 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 blah. But when they do the cut to like them having sex. It's not Anna. <laughs> suddenly it's Cass. <laughs> and suddenly you're like, whoa. And then they do a flashback with them having a conversation and talking. And so then you get like, Anna and Dean's conversation is very meaningful, but like totally platonic. And then mm-hmm. Cass and Dean's conversation, not so platonic. Also, that's very early in their relationship, which I think would be very funny. In Abandon All Hope, when like Crowley's <laughs> doing that whole thing about you're here because I want you to be here. Like he's going, I need you to kill Lucifer. If he has like a little like television screen and he just goes, I've been watching you. Like, I know what you're up to. And he just clicks it on and it's just like Dean and Cass. <laughs> like making out? Yeah. And just clicks it on. <laughs> just gives yeah. it I have another suggestion, which is I think it's Uriel. I want to say maybe in the Great Pumpkin Sam Winchester when he's like, 
He has this weakness. He likes you. I kind of want Dean to be like, okay, but does he like me or does he like me like me? You know, like do that little. Check yes or no. Yeah, literally. (laughs) He loves me. He loves me not. He loves Mm -hmm. me. me. Also, I think also the real Ghostbusters, lots of possibilities in there for breaking Dean's brain. I had two more that I just remembered. So Dean gets a male siren, immediately calls Cass. (laughs) Like, and he like. (laughs) Like he just is like, oh, that it just like, clicks. It just like that's just the moment that he clicks in his click. head. And he's like, I have to, I have to make a call. Like he's immediately, like, oh, <laughs> my sirens email. Oh, I'm obviously. Oh, Cass is not just a really good. I'm going M into Cass. Oh, yeah. Also, yes. along that same line, my bloody Valentine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that same train yes. of thought. Like mm-hmm. actually, a really funny one would be that moment in my bloody Valentine where Sam is literally fighting for his life against that fucking bathroom sink and Dean and Cass are like bickering in the background like if that had been the moment oh my gosh what if Sam was would be like would you guys just like kiss already like he's like having a breakdown with himself and he's like you're not paying attention to me I'm having a hard time you're Can not you guys helping. Just kiss and get it over with you know the episode where like Cass is sitting on the bench just like kind of looking Great like pumpkin sandwiches yeah and yeah. he gets up to go off of the bench and then we just get a shot of the bench where he's carved in Cass loves Dean <laughs> in like a little love heart or even just like the C plus D yeah. mm-hmm. yeah. forever <laughs> there is also Sam is unfortunately locked in the panic room having a demon blood detox Dean needs a distraction Cass is they there yeah it's fine <laughs> Oh, also in, fuck, which episode is it where they try to lock Dean in the panic room and he does the whole, like, last time someone looked at me like that, I got laid? Yes. Point of no return. Point of no return, yes. Point of no return. Mm -hmm. Oh, there's so many moments in point of no return. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Point of no return is probably my vote for, like, when it should have been on canon. (laughs) Funny or not, like, that's just where it should have been. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Actually, that's one of the other questions that we had on the list. So maybe we segue into that, which is when it should have gone canon brackets if they didn't decide to queer bait us for another 10 years like what point canonically like do we think it's 10 seasons to the episode because it's 518 like the point of no return versus 1518 like it is to the episode 10 seasons and dean's got his little like farewell to her to his exes there's the blow me cast line. No one at home can see, but Beth has just put her head in her hands. <laughs> <laughs> There's the last time someone looked at me like that. I got laid. There's the whole <laughs> I rebelled for this. I rebelled for you. Like cast beating the shit. Oh, dude. Like that's a great opportunity for angry sex to just occur. Oh, mm, and yeah, absolutely. I love that. I think that I was, I love that argument. The only argument, other argument I have, and I think yours is still stronger. I still a better point, but like because of the whole Anna Cass switching story arcs, I think it'd be very, I think it would also have made a lot of sense around the time of heaven and hell. I think it would be interesting if they did something, if they like got together slash slept together slash kissed around that point, And then they have backwards work on the actual relational piece. Like I don't actually want them to be in a relationship until later, but I could see that being like a good starting point. Backing <laughs> off of that, I think free to be you and me, specifically because yes. of the last night on Earth speech. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Specifically, because the last time that we got that was with Anna and it worked. Mm-hmm. You know, I mm-hmm. am actually shocked because that was also my thing. My pitch was they do the last night on Earth speech, Dean takes him out, Cass fucks that up. And then the next scene, we just see them waking up in bed next to each other. Yeah. Oh, you the implication being like it didn't work. At the brothel. It didn't work at the brothel. But, but he was going to... Yeah, sure. Cool. Not going to die. I agree. It was high on his too. list of priorities. 
both of those would have actually narratively worked so well. Mm -hmm. I think that the buildup for me, I really enjoy like, like what you said, August, about like the heaven and hell. And I hadn't thought about that one. But I think that the buildup of season four of their relationship is really, really good. I agree as well. I think ultimately better in season five. For my brain for it to make sense in canon had to happen in season five. Um, And it would be. Yeah, I think that's when it's it, it would be in Free to Be You and Me. Or if that episode was the same, it would be after inverse. Like when Dean comes back. <laughs> and he's just seen like right after don't ever change. what could have happened and mm-hmm. like yeah and they just kiss under that street lamp i think that that would have been a very beautiful moment or in no point of no yeah. return and then the last question we had was when was your destiel awakening which i i'm intrigued by this one do any of you have like a point where you were like oh i have a really specific point <laughs> it's hard because this is not my first watch and my first watch is a really long time ago So maybe we rephrase the question of like, if you were just watching this for the first time, what point do you think you'd be like, oh no, this is no longer straight? For me, it's the monster at the end of this book when Cass like can't help, but he like wink winks Dean to the answer. Like, just so you understand why I can't help you. (laughs) I think Luciferizing is a really compelling point for me, specifically like the conversation in the green room and the like the when the turn like the when Dean ca- grabs Cass and like he turns around it's a very distinct moment where Cass like changes allegiances like fully irrevocably like he does not go back after that point nothing else has gotten through and that gets through like Dean gets through and it's like building off of everything else in season four I think I agree and then also like right after that when they break out and Cass has the moment of saying like we're making it up as we go like Dean has that yeah. moment of like looking mm-hmm. at Cass I think that is the moment that things really start to change for Dean specifically, like of how he views Cass. See him seeing Cass as like an op, as a potential, like being like. Do you know what's really interesting? Like, and hearing you guys give your reasoning, I think has kind of solidified this for me in my mind, which is I think there are actually two distinctive points for Dean and Cass as like romantic interest for each other. And I think that distinctive point number one is like immediate UST. The chemistry that they have as characters, I think, is very, very strong from that fucking barn scene. Like, I think from Lazarus Rising, you can be like, oh, that's a significant look. You know, you're giving him the up and down, like, okay. And even if you don't see it there, which I can understand, like, I think by the time you're looking at episode two and they're talking in the kitchen at the very end of that episode, there is some sexual tension there. Like, I don't know if it's just me, but like, I think that it's pretty explicit in that moment. But I think that the moment that it becomes like more emotionally involved and not just like sort of sexually charged is in the Great Pumpkin Sam Winchester when they're Mm. sitting on the park bench and Cass says, can I tell you something if you promise not to tell another soul? And then that is that insane vulnerability Mm -hmm. that Cass presents in that moment that is just unlike, like trying to fathom, like wrap my head around how insane that is for him to reveal at that moment. That's like the seventh episode of season four. And he's basically admitting that he is considering disobedience, which is their highest order of crime. Like that's nuts. Mm -hmm. And I think from that point forward, it only becomes more and more significant, like those changes in both regards. But Mm -hmm. like, I think that for me, there are definitely two separate sides. I think all those things you just listed are like, why for me it's the monster at the end of this book? Because like- Mm. 
it, it, like Cass is fully rebelling at that point. Like he is doing a thing he knows he should not be doing to help Dean and for no yeah. other reason. And then also like neither Cass or Dean like have social cues at the top of their skill set. And like <laughs> that maneuver requires communication, like a communication and an understanding that Cass just trusts that Dean is going to get the message and understand what he means. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really true. I think for me, the point where it no longer becomes like a subtle, just like the actors have chemistry thing. I think it's in Good God, y'all, where there's that speech and Cass goes like, I rebelled, I'm hunted, and I did it for you. Singular. Singular. All of it for you. I did it all of it for you. Yeah. So I'm, I'm thinking at that point is like when I was like, oh, you can't really deny it at this point. Mm-hmm. It just seems like a weird thing for Cass to say if there's not some sort of like romantic awareness underneath that. Well, yeah, it's not just about the rebelling. It's about something about Dean and something about like he makes it extremely personal. Mm-hmm. He goes from mm-hmm. talking very like about orders and very much about like the plan to going to like making very specific personal appeals to Dean and attributing things to Dean personally. And that I think is like. And like also the wording is not like, oh, I did it all because I had faith in you or because I believed in you. It's like or not him. about. Or him. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. not about like, oh, I thought you could do this. I thought you could do the right thing. It's like, oh no, like I did this for you specifically. I think mm-hmm. it's really interesting. And obviously we can't elaborate on it too much because Jamie is seasons from it. But like comparatively that speech with the 1518 speech, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in my opinion, the confession in 1518, it's referred to as a confession for a fucking reason. Like, I don't think that there is a interpretation there that is not queer. And I know that not everyone agrees with that, but like, personally, I think that if you're trying to interpret it outside of being queer, it just doesn't make any fucking sense in any regard. It doesn't make sense. You wouldn't do that with any, any other piece of media. Exactly. And so I think if you are looking at the language in the confession scene, And comparatively with the language in what Jamie was just talking about, like the through lines are there. And I think that that backs up Jamie's point without her (laughs) having all of that context. (laughs) But I think that it does serve like. What can I say? I have correct media opinions and you should all listen to all of my rankings all the time. (laughs) And don't disagree with me because I am objectively correct. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) And that's your opinion. Anyway, (laughs) does anyone else have anything in this area that you want to chat about or is there anything like outside of these very specific questions that you would want to talk about about Destiel in like Kripke era specifically? I just think it's so interesting how tied it is to like these themes of free will like I think that's Mm -hmm. I, I think that was like a thing that stood out to me in this the current watch we're doing for Queering Things. The whole storyline hinges around like them choosing their own destiny to making their own choices and so much of that storyline hinges around Cass falling for Dean and I just like like I knew that was there but it was so hard to it it came up in every episode Mm -hmm. like basically how much everything in the season sort of hinges on their relationship not to discount like what's happening with Sam or the choices that they're making or Bobby or like just the choices they're making in general but so much of like the story hinges on them learning to trust each other and care for each other and actually it's interesting that you say that because certainly on my watch through for the podcast has been very different to like any watch I've done previously and one thing I've noticed like removing Destiel from the discussion for a second which I realize is kind of the opposite of the point of this but (laughs) 
just looking at Dean as a queer character has been fascinating because I think that even in the sense of like we've talked a lot recently about the difference between what Dean considers makes someone family versus Sam and how Sam has a much more specifically like dictionary definition kind of family opinion whereas Dean has a much more interpretive found family kind of interpretation and I think that looking at Dean as a queer character just little bits like that just sort of cement him for me as a character who as a queer person like I resonate with very strongly and so it's it's really interesting like looking at them individually like Cass and Dean as just queer characters separate to each other because I would argue that Cass kind of has that same experience where he starts in this first of all very religious obvious setting and then it becomes a very much like he rejects this and it becomes like a found family scenario. And obviously not to say that, you know, you can't be queer and religious or have like a positive affiliation with religion and be queer. But, you know, there are obviously some political situations there, which, you know, I don't think it, it's necessary to get into, but it's it's not an uncommon experience for queer people to find yeah. disparaging communities within religious sects. Mm-hmm. I think I think that's part of why I like both Cass and Dean's queer storylines because like Cass is you get the exploration of like being queer as a deeply religious person and trying to hold on to faith and also rejecting elements of faith and renegotiating them. And I think that's going to keep playing on through future elements of this mm-hmm. show. But with Dean, you get like this exploration of like American masculinity and queerness. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really cool that with these two characters that they don't give us this like one kind of queerness or this one like depiction of the process of like exploring your queerness and I've like always been really grateful for that for all its flaws it's like showing these two very different kind of storylines kind of accidentally Mm -hmm. because they're not necessarily intending all of the queer subtext that Mm -hmm. ends up in there and one of the reasons that I think that Cass ends up being such a perfect narrative romantic interest for Dean is the fact that he as a character like we use he him pronouns but like ultimately like Cass as a being like did not begin with a gender like he obviously has a gender that he associates with as we know him but like he doesn't have these preconceived notions of human gender and therefore like kind of doesn't fall into this typically masculine macho representation which Dean like sort of embodies so much as like this yeah exactly and so it's interesting like watching Cass not even intentionally reject these like norms of masculinity and what it means to present as a male and then like countered with like Dean and like his ongoing like attempt to present as that like stereotype which ultimately doesn't actually fit in with like his inner I don't know emotions about it I suppose they both get to struggle with that really like in different ways and they get to mm. like share that struggle with each other and they get to see the other struggle with it and struggle with yeah it's cool I think both of their internal stories like what's happening internally for both of them what they're working through what they're like realizing about themselves ends up being a really compelling internal experience narrative that they're telling and I think that's why so many queer people like have latched onto the show for I don't know for myself like Watching both of those queer stories, I see elements of my own story in both of those characters and of their internal journeys in my own. And I think that's part of what makes it really resonant and really meaningful and like deeper than even a lot of maybe explicitly queer stories in television. I think it also is fascinating that like, obviously they've come from very, very different backgrounds, but ultimately are struggling with the same core issues. Like they're both struggling with being ostracized and treated poorly by family members. They're both 
struggling with their own identities outside of what their families expected of them. They're both struggling with all of the external pressures of like the apocalypse and things and like not getting along with your siblings and, you know, (laughs) all of these bits and pieces, like they're grappling with both of their individual like interpretations of faith. And I think that that also kind of like leans into this like queer reading where it's like queer people are everywhere. Like everyone comes from all kinds of different backgrounds and has all kinds of different experiences. But like as a community, we are kind of bound together by this shared experience of just inherently being queer and like the kind of impact that that has on your life, regardless of anything else. And obviously like how much of an impact that has on your day-to-day life is impacted by like where you are and your specific family situation and all of these things. But it's interesting for me to watch these two characters who come from such different places struggle with the same core concepts. It's like having John be the God equivalent. Which makes for it being really a lot of parallels and a lot of interesting things it's able to say about both faith and family and free will and choice and all those things. Beth and Jamie and KJ, do any of y'all have anything you'd like to add? (laughs) I think this is a little bit different. Like going back to specifically Kripke era Destiel, I always, not always, I now I think I know, but I always think of Destiel in like later seasons Mm -hmm. and like going back and watching it from season four, you're like, oh, like, no, this has been happening the whole time. Like it's, (laughs) it's so much stronger than like I going back and watching Faith. It's like, oh no, this is right here the whole time. And like, I don't know if it's because I watched the show so quickly, but like when I went back and rewatched it, I was like, okay, no, like. (laughs) Later seasons, Destiel definitely has like its stuff. Like, don't like I I love it, but like the season four and season five Destiel plot points and like Cass literally falling for Dean, like just the words, like that sentence. The Destiel is not like more subtle in seasons four. No, five, it's not. Like, sometimes I for also forget that as well. Like that's what I was expecting it to be more subtle, mm-hmm. particularly on the podcast. Like I was like, man, I'm really gonna have to like. One, I try not to be biased. It's hard. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> like when we talk about certain season four episodes so far, I'm being like, oh no, like that's there. And then like Abby, who's our listener who hasn't seen the show, like she sees it. She's like, oh yeah, no, the tension in the kitchen in episode two, like yeah. is so high. <laughs> like It's so funny that you say that because I did the same thing. I was like going into season four and I was like, Right. Remove the rose colored glasses. Like I know that I'm going to see it because of, you know, future stuff, but like Jamie's never watched it properly before. Like, Like, let's just, you know, maybe it won't be that obvious. Exactly. I like fully gaslit myself into being like, now this is going to be season four. They've just opened cast. Like this isn't (laughs) going to be explicit. And then I was watching it and I was like, holy fuck. (laughs) You're like, wow, there's a lot of gaslighting in here. (laughs) And there's so much like gaslighting in the fandom anyways mm-hmm. like specifically with Destiel so like to like gaslight ourselves being like okay I need to like chill out about it like point out stuff that's there and like say my opinion but like don't like focus so heavily on it but like times it just hits you over the head with a brick <laughs> more often than not I'll, I've said it before and I'll say it again like I'm very fucking interested I haven't listened to then and now but I would be interested to hear what the fuck they're gonna say about free to be you and me or about mm-hmm the monster at the end of this book or about like fucking any of the episodes that we even changing channels yeah changing channels like there's so much shit where it's like I don't know how the fuck you guys are gonna talk about these episodes without addressing it 
Oh yeah. How do you talk about the queer coding of these characters mm-hmm. when it starts mm-hmm. to be so explicitly in your face? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know how the fuck Rob and Rich are going to talk around Thelma and Louise. Like, Bert <laughs> and Ernie maybe, but Thelma and Louise. That's one reference that is not, there's no way to, like, straightify that one. Yeah. Yeah. Because, like, the Bert and Ernie reference is it's- like, oh, I know they're gay, but, like, it's not calling him and Cass Bert and Ernie. He's just saying... It's like, why is that joke there? Like, yeah. You can explain around it if you want to. And I also think that the Burton Ernie thing would be less compelling if it wasn't paired with the fact that earlier on he did refer to them mm-hmm. as Thelma and Louise. Yes. Like, this yes. is a pattern. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're like, you were drawing all these pop culture metaphors and Dean speaks in pop culture. That's how he relates to things. That's how he makes connections. Mm-hmm. I hope that they just like call it like they see it. Like I just Me too. I, I really they just hope go they full do. SDL on us. Yeah. They're just like, you know what? The <laughs> they're like, I get right. it. The right. <laughs> it just starts coming out of cons that they're just like, uh-huh. You're like, yeah. Be honest now. I'm thinking of like point of no return being like, yeah, I mean, I thought Misha was gonna kiss Jensen. I really did. <laughs> I mean, Richard Spate directed 1518. So like, you know, like mm-hmm. I think that it would be nice if they don't shy away from it. But like in saying that, like I understand that they're playing to a broader audience than our niche blah, yeah. blah, sect. Blah, blah. So, you know, they <laughs> we'll see what they say and what they're allowed to say. Cause that's the other thing. We can say whatever the fuck we want. Yes. They have contracts. Yeah. <laughs> yep. It is interesting though. Cause like, because of Rich directing 1518, mm-hmm. like he's got to have some feelings about that. Yeah. <laughs> like he knows where the story is going and has like background info that we don't even have. I would love to know what he thinks of 1518. Like, from an artistic perspective, even. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would like to know what he thinks about that episode. I don't know if, like, I don't know about you guys. I don't actually know if I have that much to say. Like, thinking on it, I'm like, I feel like we've covered it in the other episodes. <laughs> like, yeah. I think we just talked about it so much in the, like, best episodes ranking that I'm like, I feel like we've already said it. We talk about it so much in general. It's now midnight here. And I feel like, yeah, just the mere mention of Destiel has fried my brain. <laughs> I think if you're not sure why we're talking about Destiel, you should just watch the fucking show. Jamie encouraging people to watch Supernatural? What is happening? <laughs> Look, I'm just saying, if they've watched Supernatural and they haven't seen Destiel, maybe they should do it again. Like, whether you ship it or not is one thing, but it's, like, to say, you know, there is no basis for it is wild to me. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that whether or not you like it, whether or not you ship it or enjoy it as a pairing, I think to say that there is no or that there is limited or there is interpretable evidence for it, I think is a stretch. I think that you have to at least accept the fact that it is... It's there. It's clearly there, regardless of whether or not you respect it. I think you have to acknowledge that it does exist. Yeah, the canon, like, again, it is for all of, like, going going back to that question we asked about, like, canon. What's canon? Like, it doesn't, the canon, like, what's canon is is so much, so much of it is up to interpretation. Mm-hmm. And I don't like that phrase. But at the same time, I'm like, just because it's up for interpretation doesn't mean that you can't be wrong about your interpretation mm. and, like, what you, you know. There's good faith interpretation. And I think it, it to ignore SDL entirely as a concept is bad faith interpretation. Bad faith. Okay, so I think that just about does it for this bonus episode. So if everyone wants to go through and for the sake of, you know, podcasting professionalism, <laughs> let everyone know where they can find you on uh, your own podcast, but also all the socials. Hey, Jane, maybe should we start with you and do the same order? Yeah, it's great. <laughs> it's working for us. 
You can find Supernatural Opinions anywhere you listen to podcasts. We're on TikTok at SBN Opinions KJ and on Twitter for now at SBN Opinions Pod. And like, I guess I'm editing KJ on pretty much everything else. So you can listen to my Supernatural Rewatch podcast, Raising Perdition, anywhere you listen to podcasts. If you type it in the search bar, you'll probably find it. If you want to find me personally, it's Beth Loves Cass on all platforms. Saving People, Clearing Things, which is the Supernatural Rewatch podcast I host on. You can find that wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, I also host on a queer media, general media podcast called Find Things Well. And I am on all social media at Astral Spock. Okay. Thank you guys again so much for joining us. Um, And for everyone listening, hopefully you've had as much fun listening as we have had recording. And hopefully we have you back for the next episode. Bye. Bye.